A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Do you grind your teeth at night? Do you have joint pain in your jaw area? So are these really a dental problem or a sleep problem? A lot of people with these problems may go to their dentist to get a solution to get a treatment or find a way to deal with it. Do you know there's a subdivision within dental field called dental sleep medicine? Today, our guest, Dr. Bray, who is a dentist for over 20 years and also specialized in sleep medicine and chronic facial pain. He will explain to us how can a well-trained dentist help you with your sleep problems. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ishan. Let's welcome our guest, Dr. Stephen Bray. Hello, Dr. Bray. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep Podcast. Good morning, Seishan. How are you? Great. So I'm happy to connect with you across different countries. Yes. How about you introduce yourself to our audience first? Uh, well, my name's Stephen Bray. I'm a, a dentist. I'm presently working in Canada. Well, I say presently. I've been here for several years. And my main interest is uh, in what we call dental sleep medicine, which is the overlap uh, between sleep and dentistry. And I've been very interested in sleep, uh, both personally, uh, I like sleep, and uh, and also the, uh, the field of sleep. Uh, and in dentistry, we're seeing more and more involvement in, in that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. A lot of people, when they think about sleep, they will first think about maybe sleep doctors or sleeping pills. Then I'm curious, what's the role of a dentist play in the field of sleep medicine? We can actually play a very large part. And I think that traditionally, most people that know anything about this at all will think of uh, oral appliances, the appliances that dentists make to hold the jaw in a position which helps breathing at night. And that may be a snoring appliance or an anti-snoring appliance, we should call them really, or an appliance that manages obstructive sleep apnea. or any of the, uh, well, we'll call them sleep disordered breathing, and then that's an umbrella that covers everything. However, um, it goes much further than that. We can also uh, help people uh, with what's called nighttime bruxing, which is, or bruxism, which is uh, nighttime grinding, which is very damaging to the teeth, can also be involved with uh, what's called TMD or temporomandibular dysfunction, which is jaw, jaw joint pain and facial pain too and also uh, i should just add that um it involves what we do too everybody associates dentists with doing crowns and bridges and implants and fillings and uh, and maintaining healthy gums and bruxism and uh, and we'll call it sleep dentistry again they impact what we do every day so actually it it's almost a basis upon which dentistry is built. And I, I don't think that's too profound a thing to say. Wow. Yeah, sounds like they're just like any other field. There are much deeper knowledge and deeper stuff. Like if we really go 
to the field further and further. There's more uh, we may not know, but as a professional, there's a lot more you can do to help people from different angles. Bruxism is very interesting. Um, I did not know that before, but I heard there's some connection between bruxism and sleep apnea or, you know, uh, some kind of sleep disorders with breathing while you're sleeping. And also, I definitely heard bruxism is harmful for our teeth if we don't think about anything else. So can you tell us more about bruxism and how that relates with sleep medicine and how do you deal with it in your work? The, um, I should mention that uh, sleep medicine itself is a relatively new field. Um, you know, if you think of cardiology and neurology, they've certainly been around for a lot longer. Dental sleep medicine, too, is in a, well, we'll call it its infancy. So we're still learning a lot about the connection, whether it be neurological or physiologic, between bruxism and uh, obstructive sleep apnea or, or any obstruction to the airway. And I think the simplest way to look at this is to go back to our basic first aid and, and life support. Um, you know, if we're all trained in first aid that if there's an accident, airway comes first, ABC airway breathing and the the uh, circulation and for airway you know we we can't we can't wait too long to breathe uh, we may not me per perhaps personally but many of us can go a long time without eating and uh, we can go less time but quite a while without drinking but when it comes to breathing uh, it's different uh, different situation so the body knows the airway and breathing is to life and it will do anything to maintain that airway. So at night, when we're no longer conscious of holding our airway open and we lose all the protective reflexes to our airway, then when we close our airway, or sorry, when we lose our airway, uh, normally due to gravity where the tongue and the jaw falls back, just like we go back to the ABC of um, basic life support, is we need the jaw forwards. The tongue, which is attached to the jaw, it makes up the front of the airway. If you think of the airway, the back of the airway would be basically the, the skin covering the, uh, the spine. And then the sides of the airway are soft tissue. And the front of the airway at the tube going down is basically the back of the tongue. So if we can hold the tongue forwards, we maintain the patency or the openness of the airway. Since the tongue is attached to the jaw, if we can move the jaw forwards, that then uh, helps to maintain or open the airway and maintain the airway. Now, the reason I mention that is because dentists will be very quick to get excited and say, well, we can do that because we can, we can make an appliance which will hold on to the teeth and hold the jaw forwards. But at night, if you haven't got that, the body needs to do its own thing. And so what happens is when you lose your airway, the body will try and regain the airway by pushing the jaw forwards. Makes good sense from a survival standpoint. Now, we go back to dentistry, and of course, we've got teeth. And those teeth are in a certain position. And regardless of why the teeth are where they are or where they happen to be, they may very well be in the way when the jaw is pushed forwards. If you think about it, if your teeth close, then your front teeth are there 
uh, depends on the overlap, but nonetheless, your teeth are there when you when you close like this. So if you push your jaw forwards, your teeth are in the way. And so what we see as dentists is we see the effect of the teeth of, of the jaw coming forwards and wearing the front teeth. So when what we do as dentists is we look for that as a red flag. If we see someone with a lot of wear on their front teeth, we must assume that there's a possibility that that is due to the jaw being thrust forwards to maintain the airway and it's the teeth that are in the way. Now, that's that's good because that increases our awareness and we can tell the patient and we can say, well, this is a screening tool. Uh, maybe we should go further just to see if you are maintaining your airway, we could do sleep tests through the physician. But what's also important is if we don't know that and somebody comes in and their teeth are very ground down and they're all flattened off and they don't look very attractive, then traditionally, as a dentist, we are looked upon to make the teeth beautiful again. So we can then build them up with crowns or veneers or that sort of thing. But if we don't deal with the underlying problem, that jaw thrusting will continue. And as you can imagine, it's going to break our dentistry. So we need to look at these things in a practical sense, not only from a dentistry standpoint, but from a medical standpoint. And so the awareness of this through by the public and by dentists, too, because we're classically trained as dentists, but the field is changing and we need to change with it. I was never to imagine I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I've been around for a while. But nonetheless, even younger dentists are not always trained. Most dental schools have a very full syllabus and they find it difficult to add things. So the dental sleep medicine is something which is only just beginning to gain a position in dental schools. Anyway, I digress. Yes, that's basically a connection between bruxism and obstructive sleep apnea, or the loss of the airway in any way, shape, or form. And I should just mention, if I may, and forgive me just, just to kind of go off on just a slight tangent, many, many people who are watching this will recognize uh, the term obstructive sleep apnea. And many will know what that means. It's the loss of the airway, obstructive being an obstruction, sleep because it happens during sleep, and apnea because it's stopping breathing. Many people know that and they'll associate that with a traditional stereotype of a, of a man uh, in his middle years, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, round uh, in the middle. Fortunately, you can only see the top of me anyway, so that's good. Um, and, and that becomes our stereotype. But we're beginning to recognize now that young, female or male, very fit people who run marathons and are at the gym all the time, they can get a form of obstructive sleep apnea too. And that's only just been recognized maybe over the last 10 to 20 years. And it's called URS, or U-A-R-S, which is upper, is it UA, upper airway resistance syndrome. I do and, have that. Even oh, do you? Though, you see, I'm thin and fit. And yeah, young. Actually, yeah, and young. <laughs> I do have that. So I was shocked. I Googled exactly the image you described came out. I was like, huh, possibly not a lifestyle or body shape thing. But that's that's fantastic. Not fantastic that you have it, but fantastic that you have experienced this put that way, because many people out there will experience excessive daytime sleepiness and some of the other issues 
And the doctor doesn't understand necessarily that they could possibly have obstructive sleep apnea. So they, they do everything else and look at thyroid tests and so on and so forth. But we can't overlook that. And I'm, I didn't know that uh, for you, but I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it's a good illustration. Right. I have to say learning sleep medicine, behavioral sleep medicine, helped me understand more and more about sleep and start explore myself and find out, oh, actually there's a part of me I don't know about myself. Just like what you mentioned, most dentists don't have the specific training of sleep, right? And you start, uh, I think you possibly get into sleep medicine field much later, in your career. So I'm curious, what make you start getting interested in it? I was forced into it by an inability to help my patients the way I wanted to. I'd been in dentistry for about 20 years, and um, I think that I was successful as a dentist, like most dentists are. And I, I could do traditionally what I was taught to do and everybody seemed happy. So that was fine. But there were some patients that I just didn't understand why I couldn't help. They may have had jaw problems. They may have had excessive wear of their teeth, but I didn't know what was going on. And it was, it was bothering me. I was also suffering from jaw joint problems myself and the physicians and the dentists in our town didn't know what that was due to. So I basically went back to school. And I didn't realize at the time how big this rabbit hole was. The more I realized, what, what's the expression? The more I knew, the less I knew. The, the, the more I realized I didn't know. Wow. And of course, because this is a developing field, not only did I have a lot of catching up to do to the present knowledge, but you have to kind of keep going and have to be flexible for things that you didn't see coming down the pipeline. I then realized that I had obstructive sleep apnea too. And my wife for years had uh, complained about my snoring, but I, I wrote it off as other things. And, you know, you're always perhaps the last one to realize about your own problems. And I recognized that my son had had airway problems too as a child. There's also, and I won't go too much into this, but there's also a, a, quite a strong connection between ADD like symptoms and airway you know as adults when we get tired we sit in a corner and fall asleep but anybody who knows um, because they've been in a superstore or a, a walmart when the kiddies miss their nap they don't go to sleep they become hyperactive and uh, so we we have a lot of things still to learn about how we can help but that that became the beginning of a long journey which I don't think is over yet, but I've had lots of experiences where I've recognized how important the airway is. And of course, the other great benefit of being a dentist is you see patients. And I'm the first to admit that I'm continuing to learn. I'm not saying that every every patient, you know, is a, is a, um, is a guinea pig. That's not true. But it does help being able to share with patients, listen to patients, see their own individual problems. We're all different. And um, so the answer to your question is I felt that I needed, and this I think is true for all dentists that do this, I felt that I needed to learn more to help my patients and to help me help my patients. Right. Wow, that's great. I think there's a lot of wonderful 
information you just shared. Not sure whether our audience really catched that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think um, I was thinking one thing you point out is the difference between adults and children, right? And uh, uh, when we are sleepy or when we don't sleep enough for whatever reason, we show it in a very different way. Children could be hyperactive, while adults could be sleepy, tired, and trying to rest. That's a huge difference. Absolutely. And I put a plug in here for kids. You know, it's been said before that our children are the adults of tomorrow. And we, and I'm not just talking about dentists, we can all, including the public parents specifically, we can change the child's life. Airway is so crucial. I remember speaking to a consultant pediatrician and she was shocked that the medical field, uh, she was trying to change things, but she was shocked that the medical field was so ignorant of the importance of airway to ch children. And I'll just throw this in because maybe this will help just one person and then it's worth it. If, if a child is grinding their teeth and if they lay in bed and their lips are apart, i.e. not sealed like this, but if they're laying in bed with their lips apart, they're mouth breathers. And mouth breathing has been associated with airway problems from the very start. So if your child does have either a grinding issue or their lips are not together at rest, that's a red flag. And it's a good idea to go to your doctor and explain the situation. And I'm going to put one other plug in, hoping that no physician is watching this. Sometimes it's hard for physicians to either understand or help because they don't quite know you know, the best way to help their patients in this particular area. And that is, we have mobile phones now. And we can tape our children and we can show what's actually happening. And you don't have to have classical obstructive sleep apnea, although that is, that can happen in children, but just the snoring, uh, the restlessness. And what happens, especially with older children, is it affects them at school. They're not attentive. They can be disruptive. All the signs of ADD, really. So I just want to put that plug in because that is so important. I mean, as adults, we can go to the dentist. We can go to the doctor. We can say, I've got a problem. Kids can't do that. Mm. Wow. Hopefully our audience really pay attention to this, right? If you are parents or if you have children around you, pay attention to what their sleep look like. I'm a psychologist, so in my practice, I do see a lot of uh, emotion disorders, uh, emotional disturbance from younger aged children. Sometimes I ask parents about the children's sleep, and sometimes I do get the answer that the children actually are not sleeping well. And uh, sometimes it came in as a mood disorder and end up to be a sleep disorder. So I hope this really um, a lot, like whoever are listening, pay attention to this and consider this as a possibility. It's great to hear you say that uh, because it means that we that this whole sleep thing is not only beginning to percolate to us dentists, but but yourselves and physicians. And I would also just add, um, because this doesn't perhaps fit the dental 
image that we're portraying here. Obstructive sleep apnea is not the only thing that can fragment sleep. You know, we have restless legs and children are prone to that too. So, you know, if your kitty is, is having problems during the day that you think may be associated to being overtired, there are more things than just grinding teeth and uh, sitting with your mouth open. But those for me are red flags because I'm a dentist and I tend to see the things I look for. And as a dentist, I look for things in the mouth. So, um, but it's a big field. And, um, and of course, we also have the fact that just about everything in life is bi-directional. You know, we're taught that if you have a disease, these are the symptoms and the signs. And we've, that's the way we're taught clinicians too, as you know, and, but there's, we have to remember that there is a two way street here as much as a disease causes a symptom or a sign, those symptoms and signs can affect the disease. So it's a big picture. It's a fascinating picture. And it's something, and you, you have alluded to this, something where we can have a profoundly beneficial effect on our patients. Right. I love this theory, two-way direction, right? To really think about it from both directions. Come back to what dentists can do to help with all these sleep disorders, because we all know there are like more than 80 different sleep disorders. Uh, I'm sure there are quite some different disorders dentists can help with. So um, I know if people grind teeth too much, I heard there's something dentists can help to help with it. And nowadays there's some dental device to help with sleep breathing related disorders. And I also heard there are some dentists who actually can also be surgeons. So they can do some kind of surgery to really help you move the, uh, open up the airway or move the jaw, do those kind of things. So I'm curious for, you know, for our audience, where they should get started and what are some possibilities are out there for people to deal with this? Those are good questions. Um, I should, I should preface this by, I will go so far as to say correcting what I said. I believe fervently through my years of doing this, that what I said to you is true, where as far as the jaw being pushed forwards while you're asleep unconsciously to improve your airway when there's an airway deficit. But having said that, uh, that is anecdotal. That is my opinion. I think it's shared by an awful lot of dentists. But going to the research material, bruxism is still considered to be a parafunction. In other words, a function outside of the norm. Having said that, we dentists have, and we've done this for years and years, most, mostly because we didn't know what we were doing. But, you know, if somebody comes in and their teeth are very worn, it's quite reasonable to put something between their teeth. Now, obviously, a finger or something like that's not going to work. But a plastic, what we call a night guard or a bruxing guard, is something which just about every dentist does. It should be mentioned. And once again, the jury's not out on this yet, but uh, it would seem that for some people, we don't know quite why, I have a lot of theories, but that, that's neither here nor there. But for some people wearing a bruxism guard or a night guard, in other words, a one component, it may be an upper appliance or it may be a lower appliance, 
specifically to stop the teeth grinding on one another by putting plastic between the teeth, makes obstructive sleep apnea worse. So if in doubt, and that's the benefit of screening, a dentist should screen. I'll go so far as to say all dentists should screen patients. It takes only two, less than two minutes. And if there are red flags, more questions should be asked. And, you know, a hygienist can ask this. A dental assistant can ask this. It doesn't have to be the dentist. And if people's teeth are ground down before jumping in and making a bruxing guard or night guard, those questions should be followed up on. And if the dentist then thinks, you know something, this patient may have obstructive sleep apnea. They do snore or their bed partner says, well, he stops sleep. He stops uh, breathing. And I listen. And then before we make a, a, a night guard, then there should be testing done, because if they have obstructive sleep apnea, they should be having a two component appliance, which, as you can imagine, is what holds your jaw forwards rather than a one a component appliance, either upper or lower, which may allow the, the lower jaw to fall back. So I just wanted to say that because I, when you do something like this and afterwards you think uh, about what you've said and you think, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't mind people arguing with me or throwing things, that's fine, but I wouldn't want to disseminate uh, information that was wrong. So it is still considered parafunctional uh, from a research standpoint, but if you ask most dentists, they'll say, no, if you've got a lot of wear on the front teeth, we we'd certainly look at airway. You also mentioned uh, about alternative treatments. And we all know, uh, I think just about everybody knows, that the first thing we consider is CPAP. This is continuous positive airway pressure, which basically is a pneumatic stent. It holds the airway open by increasing the pressure. It doesn't breathe for you, right? um, but it holds the pressure open and it stops the airway from falling together. So as much as a dental splint or a, a dental device is concerned, that's a physical splint, uh, a splint that physically holds jaw forwards, where CPAP, which is the go-to, that's the traditional approach, although actually oral appliances were around first, but we won't go there. There are other options, but they're more involved. And so I, and you know, I'm speaking as a practicing dentist, and I'm sure that all dentists would pretty much say the same thing here. We would look at the simpler things first. Uh, nobody's going to line up for surgery if there's an easier answer. But surgically, it can be tremendously beneficial to surgically advance. And it's not usually just the lower jaw, but in situations where there is a very short lower jaw, because once again, the tongue is further back, then by moving the jaw forward surgically, and it's done actually by splitting, you don't just move the whole thing, you actually split it and move part of the lower jaw. Um, so the jaw joint stays in the same place, but the front of the jaw, we'll call it front of the lower jaw, moves forwards because that's what's attached to the tongue. So from a surgical standpoint, surgery, it's called uh, bimaxillary protrusion, which kind of indicates that it's both jaws because you normally bring both jaws forwards. That has been shown to be tremendously beneficial for increasing um, or improving the airway, improving the maintenance of, a, of an open airway. But it's a big job, you know, and it's not something to be undertaken lightly. And we have other surgical procedures uh, of the jaw. We can actually move the connection between the tongue 
and the lower jaw, we can actually move that forwards in a very localized area. Uh, in other words, we, we cut a, not me personally, but a surgeon um, would cut a piece of the, the lower jaw, the bit that's attached to the uh, muscle, to the tongue, and move that forwards so the jaw itself stays in the same place, but relatively speaking, the tongue moves forwards. So there are, and, and these procedures are often done together. They're not, it's not one or another. There is another procedure, uh, which is called a U-triple-P, and I don't even know if I can remember what that stands for. Uvulo, um, you know, offhand, I wasn't planning on doing this. So we'll, um, we'll just say it's called a U-triple-P. And what that is, is a recontouring of the back of the mouth. It's not a very comfortable procedure. And the effectiveness is sometimes questionable. There have even been surgeries where it reduced the size of the tongue. Um, but without going into too much detail, it's not normally the tongue size that's the problem. It's the fact that the lower jaw is too narrow. I would just say, because it's exciting, that we do have emerging technologies. Uh, one of them is an implant into the chest so that when it recognizes that the chest is not moving the way it should at night, it sends a signal to a muscle which actually pulls the, the tongue forwards. Once again, it's still a surgical procedure. It's also very expensive because it's early on. But these are some of the things that are coming down the pipeline. And I think in 10 to 15 years, we'll probably hardly recognize what we're doing now. But at this point in time, we're, we're doing well. We're doing well. We just need to get awareness out. That's the biggie. Right. I think awareness is so important. And that's part of the reason why I started this podcast is I really want to get a lot of different guests on the podcast to share their stories, expertise, to help the general public really understand all this, you know, wide range of knowledge within this sleep field. I really enjoy a lot of the information you shared. I think that's a lot of, of those are very new on this podcast to our audience and to really get the information out. Before we end, I also want to ask you uh, more about the consequences if people ignore this symptom if they don't do any treatment, right? If they think, well, snoring is normal, uh, falling asleep be behind the wheel is normal, I'm just tired, I probably just need to sleep more. But as we both know, those possibly are symptoms of something more severe. So what are the consequences? Why people should uh, consider treatment? There is, there's two ways of looking at this. There's the clinician's way of looking at this, and there's the patient's way of looking at this. And I respect that. From a clinical standpoint, um, we have a lot of evidence to show that poor sleep affects us significantly during the day. We know that when we didn't sleep well last night, it's going to affect our, our function today. We're, we're just not as with it. We also know that it can uh, affect cognitive function and, and the ability to drive. And you ask any uh, police officer and they will tell you that uh, there are accidents where there are no skid marks. The car's gone off the road, driven into a tree. And of course, the other thing about falling asleep at the wheel is you can't brace yourself. So many of those accidents end up as fatalities. Now, that's enough alone. 
we have so many other things, cardiovascular, by which I mean strokes, heart attacks, um, hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, the list just goes on and on. But from a patient's perspective, and we have we can't forget this, it's what, what importance is there to me? And that's a hard one to answer because just like some people smoke and they live until they're 100, and maybe clinicians think, it's not really fair because all these people who don't smoke, they should be the ones that are living to 100. But we are individuals and things affect us differently. So I don't tell my patients, if you don't do this, you will get that because I don't know. But it certainly increases the probability. And I tell you what I tell my patients. I say, we are not like cars. Cars have dashboards. Dashboards have lights. And if there's something wrong with the engine, the light comes on. You usually stop the car or drive it to the dealership or wherever you bought the car and you say, my lights come on. Please, can you check this? That's what we're doing. We're looking for these things because we don't have lights and we need to stay vigilant because our engines can break and they can't be fixed so easily after they've broken. Once you've had a heart attack, once you've had a stroke, it's not game over, although sometimes it is. But so from our perspective as clinicians, and I'm speaking from you and from, from our, you and I, um, we know that this is an incredibly dangerous disease. And But what we have to do is, is to portray that in a way that patients understand that actually it's potentially dangerous for them as individuals too. And I will just finish by saying that's without considering snoring. Anybody who sleeps with somebody who snores understands that they are the ones that are now going to start suffering from sleep deprivation too. It is dreadful. I'm preaching to the converted, I'm sure. Anybody, as I say, who sleeps with somebody knows how damaging that is to your own sleep. And although the person doesn't know they're snoring, they are they are victims too of, of the consequences. So this is... This is a profound disease, um, and I'm not going to stick my neck out and be controversial, but, you know, we've become very aware of some of the serious um, consequences of the epidemic we're in the middle of now, and yet we've totally ignored the epidemic of sleep disorder breathing or obstructive sleep apnea, and we do so at our peril, and also at the peril of the person driving the other way. Wow. And potentially our children that are sitting in the back. Anyway, I... I <laughs> it's getting more and more dangerous. So all of this is not to scare people, but we really want to let people be more aware, right? We want to be the best we can. We want to be right. the healthiest we can. We want to function as well as we can. Yeah. All we can do is give out the information we know from literature, from clinical practice, we are not seeing anything for sure, but we gave out all this information and eventually the choice is your own. Absolutely. Right? Whoever Absolutely. is listening, make your own choice after knowing the pros and the cons. And if you are suspicious of some of the symptom, check it out and then consult with different providers and see, seek advice. 
what was the next step? Is that severe? Is that mild? Or is that something you don't have to worry about? It's totally something different, right? I think it's information, build upon information. As adults, we make our choice. But also as parents, sometimes we possibly need to help our children to make the best health choice too. So whoever listening, if you are parents, then that's something extra to consider as well. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I think to hold a podcast series like this is wonderful because sleep is so important and yet something that is often forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I know a lot of people want to listen to chill meditation music to help them fall asleep, but that's only part of sleep. Absolutely. There are a lot more. So I really appreciate Dr. Bray, you come to the podcast and share all this wonderful knowledge. If our listeners want to find your practice or want to seek your help uh, with their sleep or other dental um, sleep medicine related topic, how can they find you? Well, I practice in British Columbia, but it has to be said that many, many dentists do this. So your first resource is your own dentist. If you think you may have a problem, go to your own dentist. They'll be able to arrange sleep testing if, if that's appropriate through the, you know, and they'll work through your physician. Um, and many people, are, that's not the right approach. So it's not one size fits all. Uh, anybody who wants to, for me, then I have my, my email. You're very welcome to use that, which is info at a better sleep.ca, CA, of course, because it's Canada. And I'm very happy to answer uh, any questions on that. And, and I would encourage people to ask their dentists and their physicians because, you know, the way we can improve awareness is by forcing us as profession to find out more. And if people ask, we're forced to find out more. Just, just you know, you, are, you mentioned it before. That's what happened to me 20 odd years ago. And I haven't looked back. I'm, I'm glad I know these things. Um, it's meant to change in the way I look at things, but it's been better for me and better for my patients. Wonderful. Yeah, similar to me. I start knowing the information, then I went to check it out and found out, oh, I do have upper airway resistance syndrome. <laughs> Incidentally, you are a good candidate to start considering an oral appliance. So uh, your first resource give your dentist a call and ask them what they think. Um, I mentioned that because uh, different, different uh, aspects of, of sleep disorder breathing can be dealt with in better in different ways. Um, but generally speaking, and it is a generalization, not specifically, but generally uh, URs, it can often be treated very successfully using an oral appliance, which let's face it, is a bit easier than a mask and a hose. True. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't like CPAP. I try CPAP for a little bit. Oh, really painful. So I totally understand a lot of the patients why they don't like it. So there are a lot of different methods out there. Whoever are listening, right? Um, consult the providers, consult people who have experience in the sleep medicine field, and they possibly can give you really evidence-based advice on different options based on what you really need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, we do have a commercial, strong commercial component to this. So anyone looking into this does need to remember that we tend to look at what we do. Um, and 
as patients, we need to get a fair appraisal. So sometimes we need to ask different people for dip on, on their opinions. And then because we have autonomy as patients, then we can choose, as you quite correctly said yourself, we have the, the right to choose at this point in, in time, which hopefully we, we will be able to maintain. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Bray. And, Thank uh, you, Session. Yeah, really enjoy the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much. If there's one thing you find helpful in this episode, leave me a message, let me know. You can find the detailed show note on the website at deepintosleep.co, along with my Chinese online sleep coaching courses. I'm your host, Dr. Yishan. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who is struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.